All right, let's open our Bibles up to the book of Revelation, chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. The title of my message today is called Gold, White Clothes, and I Salve Needed Now. And that title is really based upon uh, one Bible verse, which is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. But we're, we're not going to start with that text. We're going to start with Revelation 18, and I'll kind of lay the, the groundwork for uh, what this is all about. And I really believe that the Lord has a message for us today. Amen. I do. He has a message for me through me, for me, and he has a message for you. So let's pray together and ask God to open our hearts to his word, to his message, what he has to say to us. So let's pray. Dear Father, Heavenly Father, it is good to be here in your house, in your church, Today, and we pray for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to come down from heaven, to move among us, and to go deep into our hearts. We all have hearts that need to be uh, penetrated with your power and with your Holy Spirit and with your truth. We need more than what we have. So we pray that you will go deep, that you will speak to us, speak through me, please speak through your word, open our hearts and help us to understand the message for the hour. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, by the way, I forgot to ask you, um, Sometimes I, I ask pastors or churches, uh, is this a 12 o'clock church? Is this a 1215 church? Is this a 1230 church? He said, okay, it's a two o'clock church. Well, we have a 230 meeting. So if we're going to eat, um, okay, so I'm not going to try to go on too long. Give us time to eat. Give time for me to get some sunlight and for us to get over to the, to the auditorium. Uh, the book of Revelation is my favorite book of the Bible. It's a very powerful book. And in chapter 18, Revelation 18, it's a chapter that describes God's last call to the world before Jesus comes. And if you look at the first verse, verse verse is very powerful. Uh, John wrote, after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great, and what's that next word? Okay, uh, right. Um, many Bibles say power. Some Bibles say authority. Great power, great authority. And the earth, what happened to the earth? It was lightened with God's glory. So this verse is describing the final time, a dark time, before Jesus returns when God is going to give a great burst of light into this dark world. It's represented as an angel coming down from heaven with tremendous power. 
and the whole earth is going to be lightened or illuminated with the glory of God. Doesn't that sound awesome? I mean, what a, what a vision, what a, uh, what a mission. And our church has been reading this chapter. We've looked at this verse for over a hundred years. We have been praying and hoping that we'll be a part of this final uh, outpouring of the power of God. In our church, we often refer to this as the latter rain. The Bible talks about rain many times. In the Old Testament, it talks about the former rain and the latter rain, which based on the uh, agricultural year of the Jewish people in, in the land of Israel, the early rain was the rain that came down and got the plants growing, got them started. And then the latter rain came at the end of the growing season and helped to bring the plants to the harvest. And the Bible uses that as a symbol. The early rain is the, uh, symbolized the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. When the early church received power from God to, to spread the gospel into the world, to get the church started, really. And then we refer to the latter rain uh, down at the end of time as the final outpouring of the Holy Spirit to finish the work so we can go home. Does that make sense? The latter rain's going to really, it's going to be the final boost that we need. And we also, it says in verse 2 that when the, when the power comes, that this angel cried mightily with a strong voice. So he gives a message to the world. And in our church, we often refer to this uh, as the latter rain coming and then uh, giving us the power to give what we call the loud cry. The loud cry is the final call, the final message from God through his people to those that are in Babylon. Uh, Revelation 18 is all about Babylon and the fall of Babylon and how Babylon is in trouble. It's full of devils. It's full of demons and false doctrines. And yet God has people in Babylon. He has people that are in there. Uh, in verse 4, it says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. So when the final power comes, it gives God's people the ability to give the loud cry, the last message, to call other people who are God's people, to call them out of Babylon. Uh, I like to say that the other people are the right people, but they're in the wrong place. They are people of God. They know the Lord. They love the Lord. There's a lot of people in a lot of different churches out there. Uh, we do not believe that that our church is the only church where there are people of God. We do not believe that. If we do think that, we're wrong. Uh, God has people in many churches all around the world who don't quite see things you know, the way we do. They need a deeper understanding of the Bible, but they are still people of God. And we recognize that. And the call at the very end is to call them out of false religion, false teachings, false doctrines, call them out of Babylon 
and get them closer to the Bible, closer to Jesus, so they can be ready for the second coming. Make sense? Now, uh, one thing, well, many things, but one thing has really impressed me uh, is in verse 7. Verse 7 describes Babylon, which is actually, she's described, Babylon is a woman, she's a false church. She is described in more detail in Revelation 17, this harlot woman that's riding a seven-headed, ten-horned beast. Uh, she's got a golden cup with all of her false doctrines, and the world drinks her her wine. So God gives a message to call people out of Babylon. And it, Babylon is described in, in more detail in this chapter. And in verse 7, one of the things it says about Babylon, it says, notice, Revelation 18, 7, how much she has glorified, and who is she glorifying? Herself. It says herself. How much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her. For she says in her heart. Notice she has a heart problem. She has heart disease. She says in her heart, I sit a queen and I am no widow and I shall see no sorrow. So this woman is characterized by... Um, the exaltation of the Lord or of who? Herself. Of herself, right. She's characterized by self-exaltation. And also she has a spirit, she has a, uh, a pride in her heart that says, I am a queen. I am sitting uh, high and I am not a widow and I will see no sorrow and yet, verse 8 describes what's coming upon her. It says, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. So this is a very strong chapter. God is very definite that Babylon is going down. And that people have to come out of Babylon, because if they don't come out of Babylon, they're going to go down with Babylon. And so God doesn't want that to happen so in his love and mercy, he gives a message to call people out. Now, I thought a lot about this, and I've, it's, it has uh, struck me that Babylon's character is a character that glorifies herself. Self-exaltation is uh, what she's all about. And it just makes sense to me that the people that receive the latter rain that receive the power of God, that give the loud cry, that call people out of Babylon, that we must become a people that do not uh, participate in her spirit of self-exaltation. Does that make sense? Because how can we call people out of Babylon if we have the same spirit, now we might be in the right, you know, the people of God in Babylon, they're the right people, but they're in the wrong place. And in order for us to be the right people, we may be people in the right place, but in order for us to be the right people in our hearts, 
to give the message effectively and call people out of Babylon, uh, we cannot be like her in the sense that we are, are proud people. In other words, we can't go to Babylon and we can't hit them on the head and say, you wicked Babylonians, you know, and, and do it in a proud spirit. Because if we do it in a proud spirit, then we're participating in the same spirit. See what I mean? So, you know, there, there's a deep need for the people of God to be prepared spiritually in order to give this message. And as I look back at the first verse, when it says, I, after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, tremendous power or authority. It seems to me that the more highly we think of ourselves, the less power we're going to have. And the lower we go in humility, that's the path to more power. If we're going to receive a lot of power from the Lord, we have to have a lot of humility. Because doesn't the Bible say, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, I think it's verse 9, Jesus said to him, my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. That's right. So the people that give the loud cry are going to know that they are the weakest of the weak. They're going to be people that have gone down to the bottom of humility. They're not going to be like Babylon. They're not going to glorify themselves and say, you know, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. I will see no sorrow. They can't have that spirit. And the way to get the power is to go down, to humble ourselves. And that leads me to Revelation chapter 3. So let's go to Revelation chapter 3 and look at verses 14 to 22. And this is the conclusion I've come to in all my study, my research. Uh, God has really been working with me on these topics. And I have concluded that the, the Revelation 18 message is the message that God's people give to the world and to the people that are still in Babylon, right? It's the message we give to those that are out there. But in order to get us ready to effectively give the message to people that are out there, God has to first give a message to who? To us. Right. So the Laodicean message, which is Jesus' message to the last church, the last of the seven churches. There are seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. He gives a message to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Laodicea is the last of the seven churches. And those different churches were real churches in the, in the time of John when he wrote the book. But they also represent periods in the history of, of the church. And the Laodicean church represents the last period where God's people are down at the end. And what's happening in the Laodicean message is Jesus is not giving a message to the world. 
he's giving a message to his people. And the message to his people is designed to prepare them so they can then receive the latter rain and give the message to the world. Does that make sense? So Revelation 18 message is for us to give to the world. Revelation 3 message is Jesus' message to us to get us ready. You following me? Amen. Okay. Now, with that uh, introduction, let's go into the Laodicean message. And then we're going to really especially focus on verse 18, but we've got to get there first. So in verse 14, Revelation 3, verse 14. Jesus says to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, and that's us, right, these things says, and what does he call himself? Amen. He calls himself the Amen. Now, the word Amen or Amen, from what I've read, it, it literally means uh, so be it. Let it be confirmed. And it's also interesting that the word amen is the last word of the Bible. When you look at Revelation chapter 22, at the very end, it says amen. It's like the last word. And Jesus also in Revelation a number of times, he says he's the alpha and he's the omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. He's the first and he's the last. And when he calls himself the amen, he's essentially saying, I've got the last word. So be it. What I am saying is the truth. He's got the truth. And in all the things that are going on in, the, in our church and in the world, uh, God has convicted me to let Jesus Christ have the last word. How many problems would be uh, avoided if we let Jesus have the last word. These things says the Amen. And then he also calls himself the faithful and the true witness. Um, now, a true, the true witness, by calling himself this, what he's basically saying is that what I'm going to tell you is the truth. I am the true witness. I'm going to witness to the truth. I don't, Jesus doesn't lie. He doesn't say things that aren't true. Uh, all throughout his ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus over and over again would say things like, truly, truly, I say to you, or verily, verily, the King James says. The word verily means truly. So it's like he's giving us a, a double whammy. He's saying, I'm telling you the truth. In other words, I'm telling you the truth. He says, verily, verily, truly, truly. There's no question about it. So when we read this message to us, we have to keep in mind that Jesus knows what he's talking about. Amen. When he speaks to us, he's, he's telling the truth, right? And it's also important to realize that the Laodicean message uh, is Jesus' message to me. You know, I've, I've come to believe that, that it's easy to read the Laodicean message and apply it to you. You know, sister, don't you hear what the Lord says to you? But 
And it is for, for the sister, it's for everybody, but first of all, it's Jesus' message to me. You know, we think about, we talk sometimes in our church about the straight testimony of the true witness to the Laodiceans. And I believe that. But I've concluded that the straight testimony, the straightest testimony of the true witness to the Laodiceans is Jesus' straight testimony to me. I have to get that message first before I give it to you. And I can't give the loud cry effectively to the people of the world unless Jesus has given the message to me. Follow me? Okay, good. All right. So he's the faithful and the true witness. And he's also the beginning of the creation of God. Now, that does not mean that he's the first being that was created. It does not mean that. When Jesus says he's the beginning of the creation of God, it means that he's the one who in the beginning made this world. Just like it says in the book of John, in the beginning was the word. He was there. So this is not describing, you know, Jesus as a created being. He's not a created being. He is the creator. He is the beginning of the creation of God. And there are many verses that say this in scripture. Uh, John chapter one, verse 10 says, all things were made by him. And nothing was made uh, without him. It says that in John one, three verse 10, John one 10 says he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. So I am very clear on the fact that Jesus Christ is not just a man, that he is the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. The Bible says, uh, let us make man in our image. And the Father and the Son cooperated in the creation of this world. So Jesus is the beginning of the creation of God. Everything that we see around us, at least what is good left in this world, uh, was made by Jesus Christ. He made the sun, he made the moon, he made the stars, he made the deer, he made the plants, he made the food, he made everything that's good, what we see in this world. And when we look at each other, you know, when I look at you and you look at me, you are looking at a, a being that was created by Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? So we should really treat each other respectfully because we were created by Christ himself. Jesus said, "As uh, however you treat the least of these, he said, you've, that's how you've treated me. That's what he says. So we really need to learn about uh, relating to each other in a godly way. Now, verse 15, he says, I know your works. In other words, he knows everything about us. I know your works. Jesus knows my works. I've been so convicted of this. I was telling my friend Paul that, uh, you know, the Lord has been doing a big work in my life for many years. And many times he takes me back, way back to, to the days when I was even a teenager. And he, he shows me things that I did during those days 
where I made a mistake. I did things I shouldn't have done. And I thought, you know, the Lord knows everything. He's the one who is, who was, and who is to come. He knows everything. He knows all about your past. And in my life, he often leads me back through my conscience to times in my life where I made a wrong choice, where I went the wrong way instead of the right way. And he's doing that because he's working to clean me up. He's doing house cleaning. A lot of house cleaning has been going on in my life. He knows my works. He knows your works. He's the true witness. And then he says that you are neither, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now, I think a lot of times we don't really understand these words. I think there's there's more to these words than meets the eye. There's a lot of depth in the words of Jesus. And I thought about this and I thought, you know, when a person is, uh, is hot, like if you're living in Palm Springs or in Texas in the middle of the summer, what, what do you feel when you're in such heat? You feel a need to go into the air-conditioned room. You feel a need to get cool. And when you're in a cold place, now do you think this is cold weather here? <laughs> Go to North Idaho. We had zero degrees uh, a month or so ago, and even below zero. One time I, I lived in North Dakota years ago, and, and I went for a walk, and the temperature was so cold that the little slits that I had for my eyes to see, it was the, the wind was so cold into my eyes that I had to go back into my house even though my whole body was layered with uh, clothes. The, the, the weather was too cold, or I thought my eyes are going to freeze shut, so I better go back inside. Now, when you're cold, what, do you, what happens? You feel a need to get warm, right? The problem with Laodicea is that they don't feel a need for anything, they feel like they're just fine. They're not hot. They're not cold. And in that state, without a feeling of need, Jesus says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth, which means that he cannot speak our names before God, before his Father, in the judgment, if we don't feel that we really need him. He can't take his name on our lips. He can't confess us before God because we're fine without him. And that's a problem. Now, the next verse to me really kind of clarifies that because verse 7, he says, because you say, here's the problem. You say, I am rich. Because you say, I am rich. Now, what's the difference between Babylon, who says, I sit as a queen, and Laodicea, who says, I am rich? It's the same. Now, Laodicea doesn't teach what Babylon teaches. She shouldn't. But the spirit is the same. To say, I am rich. 
I sit as a queen. Really goes back to who, who said, I will exalt myself above God. It's the same spirit. Because you say I am rich and increased with goods and have, and the next word is what? Need. You say you have need of nothing. And to me, there's the problem. Laodicea doesn't feel a need for the Lord like she should. And this is a problem. Now, when it says, I am rich, does that mean Laodicea has a lot of money? Maybe sometimes this does apply. Maybe Laodiceans, some Laodiceans think, I've got a big house, nice car, lots of goods. Or maybe it also applies to spiritual things. I've got all this truth. I'm loaded with truth. I'm rich and increased with goods and in need of nothing, in need of nothing. Now, now look at the rest of verse 17. I tell you, this is very deep. There's more to this than meets the eye. Jesus says, and know not. So he says, you say you're this, but you don't know you're this. You know not your true condition. Now, let me ask you, how do we get, if we, how do we get closer to Jesus by knowing what he knows or by not knowing what he knows? Which one? By knowing. That's right. So, how do you, in order for, for, Laodicea to receive the Lord's message, it has to make a shift in its thinking from not knowing to knowing. See that? I thought a lot about this. Laodicea doesn't know because Laodicea thinks it's like this. It's something else. And it doesn't know its real condition. So in order for us to receive the Laodicean message, the straight testimony of the true witness to the Laodicean church, we have to accept what Jesus says about us. Right? Instead of, we don't know, and we don't know because we don't want to know. I don't want to know that. You know, who is it, Mark Twain, who said... Uh, I'm not so worried about the things in the Bible that I can't understand and therefore can't do. I'm more worried about the things in the Bible that I can't help but understand and that I don't want to do. (laughs) And there's just a natural human tendency, and we've all got it. You know, we've been thinking about the coronavirus and the virus and COVID-19 for a long time, a couple years. Uh, and I'm convinced that there is a virus that we all have. Yes. You've got it. Yes. And I've got it. We've all got it. And it is the virus of s- the natural bent to self-exaltation that goes back to the devil. It's something that every one of us has. And the problem is that we don't know it. See? 
we think it doesn't apply to me. It applies to somebody else, but it doesn't apply to me. And Jesus says, yes, it does apply to you. He said, I'm the true witness. I know your works. I know more than you know. And what he's wanting us to do is to shift gears from not knowing to knowing. Now, what does he want us to know? He says, you know not that you are four or five things, five words. And I've pondered these words a lot. And when we read these five words, our natural reaction is yuck. You know, it's distasteful. But there's a, there's a blessing here that we often don't see. So the five words are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus is essentially saying, that's you. That's you. And if you don't know it, you need to know it. If you're going to accept the Laodicean message. Now, here's the, here's the beauty of this. The beauty of this is that when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you look at the Gospels, you look at the life of Jesus, who were the people that Jesus was able to help? Who were the people, what kind of people were they that he was able to, able to reach out to and touch them and change their lives? It was, the, it was not the Pharisees who felt no need of a physician. He said, those who are whole don't feel the need for a physician, but only those who are sick. And if you look at the Gospels, it was the wretched and the miserable and the poor and the blind and the naked, which were the very people that Jesus was able to reach. In other words, uh, when, a when a person knows their need, that they're wretched and miserable, they're poor in the things of God, they're often blind because there's a lot of things they don't see, they're naked because they need more of Christ's righteousness, when people know that they need those things, need is like a magnet to Jesus. When he sees people who know their need, he's drawn to them. And the more you know your need, the more he's drawn to you. The more you realize you have problems and you're not really everything God wants you to be, then the more... He just wants to be right there to help you through this. And we're, we're afraid to acknowledge our true condition because we think that when we do, it means we're in trouble with God. Because we're supposed to be sanctified. We're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to be the kind of people that are ready for heaven. Not wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked people. So we're afraid that if I admit that that is the truth, I'm in trouble with God. But it's actually the opposite. The truth is the opposite. It's when we know, like Jesus said, you know not, and once we start knowing our true condition, the reality is that's the way to get ready for heaven. See what I mean? It's backwards.
And Jesus, his whole ministry was teaching things that were backwards. He said, it's the humble that will be exalted. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who know they're blind, they're the ones who are able to see. He told the Pharisees, he said, because you, you say, you see, your sin remains. The kingdom of God is opposite the way the world thinks. The way to go up is to go down. The way to become rich is to realize you're poor. The way, the way to have your eyes opened is to realize you're blind. See what I mean? I tell you, the Laodicea message is deep. It's deep. And it's God's way of humbling us so that we can feel a need for Jesus and then have more of his power so we can give the loud cry. See that? Now, verse 18. I'm all building up to verse 18. If we are, if we are willing to know because that's what the true witness says, right? Jesus knows. He's the true witness. When he tells you and me that this is your condition, he knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? And, and, if, and if, if any one of us says that doesn't apply to me, then what we're really saying is, Jesus, you're wrong and I'm right. Now, who was the first one who said, you're wrong and I'm right? It was the devil. So I've accepted this message that this applies to me. And it's not bad for me. It's good for me. Yes. <laughs> I've concluded that the Laodicean message is the best thing for me. It's going to help me in my Christian life. So if you are willing to realize that you are in this condition, then verse 18, Jesus says, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich. Instead of just saying I am rich, here's how you're really going to be rich. And white raiment, white clothes, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness do not appear, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. What Jesus is offering Laodicea, for those who realize their need and accept his counsel and apply it to themselves, he's offering us three wonderful things. He's offering those who feel their need, he's offering them gold and white clothes and eye salve. And these are tremendous things. I counsel you to buy of me gold. Now, anybody know what gold is selling for these days? About, okay, about 1800 Yeah, that's this. Yeah, it's... it's Getting closer to 2000, uh, this is the, what they call the spot price of gold. Gold is a very valuable metal. It's 
very expensive. It's uh, about $1,800 an ounce. And uh, there's a lot of people in this world, you know, that their goal is to get rich. And to, uh, and I'm not saying money is wrong or having wealth is wrong. I've actually got a whole financial course I'm getting ready to launch on, on this whole topic of money and finances and done a lot of reading on this. And, but I know that a lot of people in this world, you know, their goal is to get rich and have a lot of gold. The more gold you have, you know, you're, you're going to be wealthy. And um, Jesus is offering to us a different kind of gold. It's not literal precious metal. It's a different kind of gold. And he says he wants us to buy it. I counsel you to buy from me gold. Now, he just told us that we're poor. In verse 17, he says, you're wretched, you're miserable, and you're poor, and you're blind, and you're naked. And then he says, I want you to buy gold from me. So if we're poor... What are we going to buy with? How are we going to buy gold from him when we have no money? <laughs> okay, all right. Faith. Uh, I've concluded that our, our, our main currency that we use to buy is our need. The more need we have, the more we've got to buy with. The Bible says... Uh, he that has no money, come buy and eat. So if you realize, Lord, I just need you so much. <laughs> I need you so much. My life has got all kinds of problems. People don't know, but on the inside, I know. And I just, I need a lot of help. And the more you realize you need a lot of help, you got a lot to buy with. Because you come right to Jesus and say, Lord, I got all my need and I need, I need the gold. And if you get this gold, he says, then you'll really be rich. The world's idea of riches is uh, money and things and land and, you know, gold and all these things. But Jesus is saying, if you want to be really rich, richer than them all, in the sight of God, you need the gold. And uh, when you do your homework on, on the gold tried in the fire... This gold is faith in Jesus. The Bible talks about um, that your faith is more precious than gold tried in the fire. So it's faith in Jesus. In the midst of the fact that we're needy, we need to trust him. And it's also love. It's faith and love. That's the gold. That when we realize our need and we look to Jesus and trust him, and realize that he loves us anyway. <laughs> he loves wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked people so much. Praise God that when we have, when we trust him and we realize his love, we're going, he's going to give us uh, the gold of faith and love for people. Love for each other. Love for people in Babylon. Love for people that are out there that need to know the truth. We need to love them. If we don't love them, if we just go out and give the loud cry, it's not going to do any good if we don't have any love in our hearts for people. And Jesus is wanting Laodicea to have gold, 
faith, love, a golden character, which is more precious than anything in this world. Do you want to be rich in the sight of God? You need the golden character of faith and love, and then you'll really be rich. And the next thing is white raiment or white clothes that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear. We all have sins we're not proud of. We all have things we've done we really hope that nobody ever finds out. Isn't that right? We all have these things, every one of us. And Jesus is offering us gold and white clothes to cover all of that so that the shame of your nakedness never appears. And I, th I thought about that and I thought, the Lord wants me to have a golden character, faith and love, and to be clothed in white. You know, imagine yourself that way. Imagine yourself as somebody who has the gold and the white clothes. You ever thought about yourself like that? You know, like I said, hello, saints, saints and sinners. Most of the time, we don't think of ourselves as saints. And we don't think of ourselves as being clothed in white and having the gold. But that's where the Laodicean message is leading us. He's leading us to think that way, to imagine that way, to trust in Jesus for that. And, the, you know, the white garments refer to his righteousness. The white garments refer to his his robe of righteousness, which means his purity, his moral purity. And whatever the color of our skin, you know, one of these days we're all going to be clothed in white, which means we're going to shine. We're all going to shine. And we're going to be uh, clothed with Jesus Christ's robe of righteousness. Doesn't that sound good? Amen. That's what the Lord's offering us. And the last part there is that he said, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Now, what is the eye salve? That's right. The eye salve is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that opens your eyes so you can see, number one, who Jesus is. Number two, your true condition. Number three, what he can do for you. And how he can give you the gold and the white garments. He wants us to see those things. In 1986, I went through a terrible crisis in my life. I went through a terrible crisis. I was very confused. I was uh, struggling with the devil. Battling with sin and self and Satan and all kinds of things. And I, I, got, I was at the edge of almost just leaving the church, leaving Jesus, leaving the Bible, leaving Christianity, and going out to the world because it wasn't working. And my life was a mess. I was in trouble, and I did not see a way out. And I got on my knees, turned off the lights in my little apartment in south of San Francisco, and I prayed, God, you've got to do something for me, or I'm not going to make it. I can't be a pastor and teach people the Bible if my life is a mess. And so um, I just prayed, Lord, you got to help me. 
And it was a desperate prayer. It was a needy prayer. And what happened next was changed my life. It wasn't a, a, a voice from heaven, but it was this little small voice inside my conscience that was very direct. And it said, pray for the spirit of truth to guide you into all truth, which is a quote from John 16, 13. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And the voice just basically said the impression, pray, start praying for the spirit of truth to guide you into all truth. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, you know, and then I had a decision to make. Am I going to do that or am I not going to do it? And I decided I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So in 1986, I began a journey that continues to this day where I have been praying almost every day for the Holy Spirit. I just keep praying, give me the Holy Spirit. Give me the spirit of truth. Help me to understand the Bible. Help me to understand my life. Help me to understand Jesus. Help me to understand what I need to be doing. Help me to understand how to relate to my wife and my kids. Um, Lord, I need you. I got a lot of need. I got a lot to buy with. A lot of currency. We all do. That's right. And so since 1986 to this day, I have been praying Every day, almost, if not every day, just praying for more of the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing is, the more I did that, the more I prayed for the Holy Spirit, little by little by little, I began to realize, I know why I'm in, a, in my crisis. I know why I'm having these confusion and all these problems. It's because of, of this and that and this and that. And I made a mistake over here. And I did this and I did that. And little by little, I began to realize the biggest problem is me. I heard about a, somebody who put a sticker on their refrigerator, little one of those little wise sayings that said, uh, Lord, uh, I found the problem. It's me. And then the, the rest of it says, is God talking back and says, my child, I've got the answer. It's me. <laughs> and I realized through praying for the Holy Spirit that my biggest problem was not this person or that person or this circumstance or that circumstance. My biggest problem was Steve Wahlberg. It was me. And I've gotten myself into this mess. And I needed Jesus and the Holy Spirit to get me out. And little by little, I began to humble myself before God and confess my sins, confess my wretchedness, my miserableness, my poorness, my blindness, my nakedness, and my need for him. And the amazing thing is, is the more I did that, the, the more I could think clearly. And the more peace I had in my life. And the more I sensed God's forgiveness for different things that I had done. And little by little by little, he built me up. He lifted me up. He helped me. He helped me with my, my life. And little by little, the peace of God came back into my life. Um, and I, I began to just experience joy and happiness and love and goodness. Well, I hope the Lord's talking to your heart from this sermon. Amen. This message. That's why I said God has a message for you and he has a message for me. And it, the message... Once you get it, 
you don't you don't get it all the way overnight. You know, you get the fact that life is a journey and that we're people in progress. And that uh, somebody once said, God's not going to take us, take us out of the oven half-baked. That God is, we're works in progress. We're, we're being prepared for heaven. And, you know, when Laodiceans say, oh, I know all this. I've heard it all my life. I don't need to go to those meetings because I heard that all my life. How do you, are you sure you've heard this all your life? People say, well, I've, I know the Laodicean message. That's where Jesus just spanks people for being lukewarm. Do you really understand the Laodicean message? If you think you know it all, you don't know anything. If you think you got it all together, you don't understand the very beginnings of the Christian life. Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm strong. It's by going down that we go up. It's by humbling ourselves before God. And this is a really, uh, and I'm going to wrap this up pretty quick. You know, humility is a big issue. It's a big issue. And when I prayed for the Holy Spirit and he began to teach me and I began to read different Bible verses, I discovered after that the danger of pride and the value of humility. I just finished reading a book recently called the power of humility, what to do when you're right. By Leroy Moore, who's dead now. I got a lot out of that book. A lot out of that book. And I've learned that what made Lucifer a devil was his unwillingness to humble himself. That was it. That was where the turning, that was the, the fork in the road. It was the dividing moment in his life when God showed him that he was on the wrong path, but he was not willing to humble himself. That was it. And I've learned, the more I pray for the Holy Spirit, I've realized I, that the devil is working on me not to humble myself, and I have to resist him, and I have to do what he refused to do. I have to overcome him by doing what he didn't do. And that is humbling myself so the Lord can lift me up. And it's been such a blessing, such a blessing. I'm a happy person these days. I know that I've got a lot of need. I know I need Jesus. I need the gold. I need the white clothes. I need the isav. And the more I know that, the more I pray for those things, the more they become real in my life. And the, the closer I get to Jesus, humility is a huge issue. I, there's a, a man that I used to know that's dead now. He actually committed suicide. He was a, a well-known evangelist in our church. And he had a pride problem. And he finally took his life. And I know a friend of mine that talked to this man once about being humil how important it is that we humble ourselves. And he got very angry. Very angry. Humility is a big issue. It's a life and death issue. It's a present truth issue. Jesus said, the meek will inherit the earth. Those who humble themselves 
will be exalted. Babylon is proud, and she will be humbled. And if we don't humble ourselves, God will humble us. And he would rather humble us through his message than humble us on the day of judgment. Okay, let me just finish this up. Verse 19, as many as I love, see, Jesus gives this message to us because he loves us. I rebuke and I chasten or discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice in his word and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. The goal of the Laodicean message is for Jesus to be in our hearts. That's what it's all about, is Jesus to dwell in us, live in us by the Holy Spirit. To him who overcomes, and we overcome by undercoming. We overcome by going down. I will grant to sit with me in my throne. Can you imagine sitting on the throne of God with Jesus Christ? Even as I also overcame and have sat down with my father in his throne. That's the goal of the Laodicean message, is to have the gold, be clothed in white, have the eyes solved so we can see, and eventually sit down with Jesus Christ on his throne in heaven, and we're going to have to wait till we get up there to find out what that really means. But it's going to be big. God has big plans for his people. Big plans. Verse 22 says, He that has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Holy Spirit is talking to us. And what I have just shared with you is the straight testimony of the true witness to the Laodicean church, which we must apply to ourselves and go through this process so that we become more loving, people with more faith, people that have the white garments whose sins are forgiven, who have the Holy Spirit, and who are more, who are the kind of people that can then, that the Lord can trust with the latter rain so that we don't glorify ourselves because now we've got the power. It's God's power. And then we can give the message to people in Babylon and do it in a way that will reach their hearts. That, you know, we're here to help you. We're needy just like you are. We have our own issues just like you do. We're all human in the sight of God. Whether we're in Babylon or in Laodicea, we're all human beings who are struggling with the same basic issues. And we need to have that spirit and that kindness and that gentleness and that tactfulness and that love to be able to reach people's hearts because that's the way Jesus is. He is that way. So let's pray together that the Lord will go deep and penetrate our lives by the Laodicean message and help us to become the kind of people he wants us to be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have done uh, for me and for so many of us. And Lord, you want to do 
wonderful things in all of our lives. And I just pray for every person here and those who are watching this, those who will watch this, uh, that the Holy Spirit will go deeper and deeper and deeper. Lord, give us the eye salve so we can see and give us the gold and give us the white clothes. You've told us to buy these things from you. You want to give them to us. And ultimately, Jesus, come into our hearts and shine out through us and bless the meeting this afternoon. Bring the people at 2.30. Bless the food we're about to eat. Be with the, the, the man that is having whatever problem he had here in church. Continue to be with him and help him. And help us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message has been brought to you by Whitehorse Media. If you want to learn more about the love of our Savior Jesus Christ and about Satan's last day deceptions and about the mysterious number 666, check out Steve Wahlberg's newest book or ebook, The 666 Beast Identified, now available at whitehorsemedia.com.